The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, power horse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to help fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. Plus, when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including NexGuard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first Auto ship order. That's petmeds.com and promo code podcast. From the creators of Wagertainment. We bring you none of the hot take BS. We bring you best. We bring you sports. I don't care about bragging rights. It just introduces more volatility into the equation. I don't care about victory laps. Stop it. Please stop it. <laughs> Throw the football into the floor. The BetQL Network presents your favorite handicapper's favorite handicapper, Ken Barkley. If I have an opinion, I'm just going to go put money on that thing happening. And your host, Nick Costos. Every single play of every Every single game impacts you in some way, shape, or form. It's You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. Hour 2, PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos alongside Ken Barkley. We are now over on Stadium. Go to WatchStadium.com. can check us out over there. We're still on Sirius Channel 160, Sirius XM 205, and you can watch and listen to the show on Twitch.tv slash BetQL and YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports over on the BetQL Network. Going to take a little break from Locketology and resume it next segment, but continue the college basketball conversation. Isaac Trotter joins us. You can follow him on Twitter at Isaac underscore Trotter, National College Basketball Writer for 24-7 Sports. Isaac, great having you on the show. Really good game tonight in Omaha between Creighton and UConn. Want to get your thoughts on this game. After the performance UConn had on Saturday against Marquette, it looks like they're clearly the team to beat in college hoops. I think this could be a tricky spot for them, though, tonight. I think the line's a little bit inflated just because of how dominant UConn has been. I lean towards Creighton in the matchup. Isaac, what are your thoughts on uh, this top 15 tilt between Creighton and UConn? 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is a, a decent buyback spot for Creighton, especially at three and a half. That's a really interesting number for me. One thing I, I've been looking at is I went back and watched all of the threes that Creighton took in their first matchup against UConn. They took 26 of them. I graded 18 as wide open. Like they had some really good looks in that game. So that's something I'm eyeing tonight, going home, have a chance to probably shoot a little bit better at home. Creighton's, uh, Creighton's guards are really interesting to me this year. Like, I think UConn has struggled to defend the basketball a little bit. That might be their one minor flaw. So if they're able to get into the paint and spray it out and knock down some threes, I think Creighton's going to stick around. I bet three and a half. I bet them to win outright. Like, we, if we've learned anything from college basketball this season, it's, it's that, like, it's really tough to stack these elite wins back to back. And I think this is a really spot where, where Creighton's going to find a way to get it done. I actually totally agree, Isaac, and I, I haven't like been into college basketball as much as you and PJ have been, but like when you see as glaring a result as the Marquette game and then this game with this market, it just like I, I we always we joke like, oh, like the point spread's telling me something, and it doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything, but like it does this market just kind of like mm, like this just it feels like a really good spot to play against a team like off of an extreme result. And I, I'm sure you've heard all the chatter that I've heard off of the Marquette game for UConn, which is this team is by far the most likely team to win the national championship. Like they're, they're going to go back to back. And I'll be honest, like I kind of agree with that. Like, do you think there is a gap between them and everyone else? Like who would you have second? Is it Houston, Arizona, Purdue? Do you think there's a cluster of teams at the top or is it truly kind of what everybody thinks now, which is it's UConn draw a line, everybody else. I'm a little bit of an outlier. I think, I think it's UConn, it's Purdue. And I throw Arizona in that mix as well. I think those are the three teams that I keep going back to is like they just have a lot of answers to the test. And they're not perfect teams. They have a little bit that you can kind of mess around with each of those teams like Arizona. Like, can you knock down some threes against them? Like they were losing games early in the year because teams shooting like 52 percent from three. Like that's obviously an outlier performance. Purdue, there's some questions, right? Like, you know, can Fletcher lawyer guard big wings? Like, are they going to be able to be a little bit more consistent? Like, but. I think UConn, too, also has some questions. It's hard to talk about UConn's negatives right now when they're playing at an elite level and when everything is going well. But I still have some questions about them defending the basketball. Can they stay out of rotation? Are they, are there, is their guard play going to be elite enough? Like, this is a good shooting team. Are they an elite shooting team? Like, those are all fair questions. So I don't think that I'm at the point where UConn beats Marquette by 30 and it was an awesome game. But I'm gonna 100% be like yep yeah, well that's the team that's gonna win the national title would I love to see Purdue and UConn play for the title yes would that be the probably the best game yeah but I just I mean if anything we know about college basketball it's that like things change and it's really fluid and this is a long long season and a gauntlet season and I just I'm not gonna get tied to my priors right away Isaac, it feels like the Big East, once again, is kind of a league that's top-heavy, and then it's a bunch of teams that are, like, on the bubble, right? So those teams on the bubble, like Seton Hall, Villanova, Butler, St. John's, any of them that get into the tournament, do you think that maybe they could be a second-weekend team? I, I like that Villanova roster a lot more. I don't think that they've been especially well-coached. That's a team that entered the NIL era with a war chest of assets. They used a lot of money to go around, and this team is not really getting there for me. Like, they just haven't really hit that next level. So I don't. I, I don't see the, that group in the Big East as a chance of a teams that are going to advance far in the, in the bracket. None of those teams, like, look like they can beat a really good team, not just once, but twice, because you're probably looking at 11 to 9 seeds, probably, for all three of those teams if they were able to get into the tournament. It's UConn. It's Creighton. And it's Marquette, 
in my opinions on Marquette haven't changed after a huge loss to, to Creighton or to, to UConn. And my opinions on Creighton haven't changed, even though they've had some up and down moments. Those are the best three teams in the Big East. Those are the three teams that I think have a chance to make noise in March. And I'm not sure I see it with anybody else. Isaac, uh, an interesting game in the SEC tonight where Tennessee, a big road favorite against Missouri. I think the updated market for this game is like 11 and a half, 12, I think is where we've ended up. So a little bit of money is coming on Missouri from the opener and Tennessee. It's like, like we haven't done them yet in our bracket exercise, but like, you, you know, you already know the jokes that are going to be made. Like it's Rick Barnes with another really good team. Sounds a lot like last year. Sounds a lot like the last 20 years, but as a regular season coach, and even in situations like this, maybe not bad team that could put up a lot of big time regular season results. Where do you land on this game tonight with Tennessee more than double digits on the road? And then them obviously as a tournament team, like any reason to believe, that this will be different yeah so i can't bet that 11 and a half i'm just a, i'm just a little too scarred by the home underdogs those big home underdogs finding a way to do it but i do like jonas adu over seven and a half rebounds that's one of my favorite plays on the board tonight uh we've talked about missouri as like one of the worst rebounding teams in all of college basketball i think they're 352nd in offensive rebounding i can rattle off all the stat lines from all the centers that have gone off against missouri but i don't want to waste your time it's like six games seven games in a row where where centers are going to like 11 or 12 rebounds the only reason this number is seven and a half is because they think there's a potential blowout chance and adu's not going to get his minutes if you think missouri's going to stick around and maybe keep this a game and he's going to play his regular minutes allotment he's going over over seven and a half rebounds I, that's kind of where i'm i fall on it and then for tennessee as a whole i do think this team is different just because dalton connect is different you, you you could make a case for him as the best pro prospect in all of college basketball. That's pretty nuts on what he's come from. This was a guy who was at Northern Colorado last year. And two years ago, he was paying his own way at junior college. Like it's an unbelievable story. He's been one of the best stories in all of college basketball and he's a pro. And that changes the equation for what Tennessee is because they have a guy who can go into North Carolina and drop 40 on your head. And everybody knew he was going to get the basketball and he will go for 40. And so like, that's, that's the difference with this Tennessee group. And I love the connectivity of this team. I love that they have retention mixed with a little portal, mixed with a few younger guys. Like it's just a nice, nice mix of a team. That's a group that I was high on at the beginning of the season when I was up there in the building, watched them beat Wisconsin on the road. And I, I'm still there. Like I, it, I really genuinely think Tennessee can make the final four with the right breaks. They can win it all. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Tennessee. I think they're better than maybe people think to, and what they've kind of done in the tournament in previous years. Talk with Isaac Trotter at Isaac underscore Trotter, National College basketball writer for 24-7 Sports. What about Michigan State, Isaac? It's We're getting closer and closer to March. We know what that means for the Spartans. Izzo's team is starting to peak at the right time. You really can't trust many of these teams in the Big Ten outside of Michigan State. You talked about Purdue a little bit. For you, outside of the Boilermakers who clearly have the talent, like is Michigan State for you the only team that you can kind of trust in that league? And uh, what do you think of them tonight against Iowa laying nine and a half at home? For for tonight's game against Iowa, you know, I, I think Michigan State's defensively has started to really come on strong. I like what they've been building defensively. Their guards, like, Obviously, the shot making with their guards stand out, but I think the defense with their guards really stands out to me, too. I love their point of attack defense. For me, how I counteract that is I'm looking at Iowa and I'm looking at Ben Creaky over nine and a half points because I think that Michigan State's guards are going to take away Iowa's guards. Michigan State doesn't play a lot of uh, trapping defenses, so that opens up the door for Creaky to potentially go to work inside against some one-on-one matchup. So that's my angle for that game tonight. But overall, with Michigan State, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I wasn't high on them. 
uh, I, I thought that the, the fact that they were number four in preseason was ridiculous. And so they were completely um, like overrated for me at the beginning. And then as the season's gone on, they've kind of become like underrated. And I think they're at the point now where it's like they're slightly I'm trying to figure out where the best point to buy back on them is because they've opened my eyes a little bit that, you know, Malik Hall lately has turned into the forward that we all desperately needed. He's played like the best four in the Big Ten so far this year lately, just a complete monster. And this was a guy who he had a game with no rebounds and he took two shots like a month ago. Like this different version of him is different. But I think it's for me, it's Purdue. I think Illinois is also in that group out of the Big Ten. Loaded athleticism, tons of size, a pretty great scheme offensively. They're, I mean, they're on pace right now for the best offensive season since the the 0405 team with D Brown, Darren Williams, and Luther Head. Like this is an unbelievable offensive team that I still think has the bones to be very good defensively. And they're kind of integrating Terrence Shannon Jr. back into the mix after his suspension. If that group progresses, I think that's another team in March that has as high a ceiling as pretty much anybody outside that top tier. Yeah, for people who don't remember that 20 years ago, Illinois team, that's the team that made the final with Bruce Weber as the coach, lost to North Carolina, which like Sean May, Rashad McCants, Raymond felt like a pretty good North Carolina team that won the title. And they were like the two best teams all year. They played in the final and like Illinois was a like a championship worthy team. I, I have strong thoughts on Illinois, too, and I, I'm sure Jake does, too, our, our board. I'm sure he was happy to hear you say that. I, I want to ask you about Wisconsin. So they're seven at home against Maryland tonight. I'm curious what your angle is in that game. We did the region Wisconsin's projected into already, and in bracket matrix, they're a five which puts them in that interesting tier of teams where it's like is this a team that can be had by a really good 12 right by mcneese state by grand canyon by one of these teams that's going to be like a like a, a worthy challenger and my answer to that's kind of yes just knowing what i know about wisconsin so like kind of that question and also your angle on tonight's game would be great yeah so um you know ken i'm a big fan of yours your paper tigers that you come out yeah, with in sure. march Wisconsin, oh, yeah. throw them in the mix. We'll get that's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with Wisconsin. Like I, I would if I was a 13 seed and they were my four, I would be pretty happy about that. Like Louisiana Tech, please God, give me Louisiana Tech, Wisconsin in a first round matchup. Wisconsin is like a ten and a half point favorite. I I personally could not wait to bet on Louisiana Tech in that matchup. So anyway, Wisconsin, I just they left they leave me wanting more every time. They really do. It's just this group does not have quite enough playmaking off the bounce. I think that's scary. You know, Max Klesman was a guy that really covered up a lot of flaws for them during their winning streak. Just he was on a nuclear heater shooting over like 45% from three, just unbelievable heater. And that's cooled off a little bit. And suddenly Wisconsin's starting to cool off a little bit as well too. AJ Storr is a guy who's might be a first team all big 10 caliber player, but he has nights where he, you know, he scares both coaches when he takes shots. Greg Gard is terrified. Kevin Willard tonight will be terrified. They just don't know what's going to happen uh, when it, when AJ Store steps onto the floor. So I, it's hard for me to trust Wisconsin so far this year. I think I'm going to probably end up being on Maryland plus seven and a half tonight. This game feels grimy. It feels like this is going to be a knock them out, drag them out fight. It's going to be a war. It's going to be the under four timeout. It's going to be a three point game one way or the other, and it's going to be just just kind of a punching back and forth between two teams that are pretty equally talented, to be honest, even though Maryland's had, you know, kind of a down year. So I think Maryland matches up well enough with Wisconsin. I didn't want to bet it earlier today, but the more I look at it, the more I think Maryland's the right side and, and a game they, they just have to have. Isaac, so you bring up Louisiana Tech and maybe as a mid-major underdog to watch in the tournament. Ken and I were talking about, you know, like Samford and Grand Canyon, maybe some teams to watch. Is there a 12, 13, 14 seed out there that you really like that, you know, you think could pull an upset maybe even make it to the Sweet 16? 
let me give you my Louisiana Tech pitch real quick. They have Daniel Bacho, who is a transfer from Texas Tech. They are the best rim-protecting team in all of college basketball. He is an unbelievable shot blocker. He's a high-major guy who's just playing in the Conference USA. And we've seen year after year, Conference USA, they create some dudes. They're really, really talented. Um, they always have a bunch of guys that transfer up into the next high-major route. I had a I had a, a Conference USA coach tell me this offseason, it's like, hey, everybody like doesn't like our league until the portal comes around, then every high-major coach wants it. And so that's, that's the team that I really like. I love their rim protection. I love their guards. That's a really, really good team. You know, another team that I keep thinking about, too, is those Ivy League schools are really talented. Princeton runs great stuff. We saw them early in the year. Uh, they gave Rutgers everything and then some in a matchup there. That, that's a really gr good group. We saw them again last year uh, make it a little bit of a run too. So those are the couple teams. And then Grand Canyon, like you said, that's a, I mean, you talk about tying Grant Foster, that's a pro playing in the whack. Like he's a stud and they have a bunch of high major talent on that group as well. So I love that group. I love it. Great stuff as always. Isaac Trotter, you can follow him on Twitter at Isaac underscore Trotter, national college basketball writer. 24-7 sports. Isaac, always great talking to you, man. Thanks for the insight. Good luck on all your bets tonight. Thanks for having me. All right, great stuff from Isaac. Ken, isn't this just no, the best man. show? I mean, it's, it's just, just college this basketball the, content. I don't. I didn't know, like, eight days ago, when did the Super Bowl end? Eight days ago? Nine, day, nine days ago? I don't know if I knew, like, four things about college basketball. Like, I, I was like, all right, like, I know, I know where, where the schools are located. That's, like, basically it. And I know everything about last year and two years ago, whatever. And I, it's somebody, funny, somebody replied to one of our tweets, like, Ken, Ken, the day of the Super Bowl, I don't know anything. Like, Ken, a week later, I loved Grand Canyon money line against Wisconsin. Like, how, just like, and I responded back, I go, yeah, it was a busy week. Like, look, like, we do the show. Like, I, it's my job to get up to speed on this. And I feel like I've done a really good job of doing that. And, uh, and hearing Isaac's answers, uh, definitely, uh, they support some things that I think also. Yeah, love it. We're going to continue Locketology on the other side of the break. PJ Glasser, Ken Barkley, You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. Sharp got it in the corner. He's trapped. I like it. No foul. But they find Juwan Roberts all alone at the other end. Terrific patience that time by Emmanuel Sharp. Did not panic. Here's Thomas for three. And time runs out on the Bearcats. Houston extends their win streak over Cincinnati to 10 games. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by Bet MGM on the BetQL Network. ESPN on the call there for Houston's victory against Cincinnati last week. Houston, the number one seed right now in Locketology as we head to Moron Island. That is Ken Barkley. I'm PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos. A reminder that you guys can watch us on Stadium. We are with you up until 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time over on Stadium. You can also continue listening and watching us on twitch.tv slash betql and youtube backslash odyssey sports you can listen to us for free over on the odyssey app we're also on sirius channel 160 and sirius xm 205 so ken before we had isaac on we were talking about houston a little bit they're in this region the eight nine matchup for them potentially it would be new mexico I guess my question for you because we both have the same thoughts on houston they're a good team the metrics love them they're great defensively, but it just feels like it's kind of the same old Houston team. Like, is there something you would need to see out of them 
the final like three, four weeks of the season as we heading into the tournament for you to kind of change your opinion to where they go from a team that maybe with the right draw, the right path you would have going to the final four to where maybe you would pick them to win it all? Yeah, that's a, it's such a good question because like there, you, you would almost think like, well, there has to be something they could do that would, like, why would you not want to change? Like, I, I'm willing to change my mind about basically anything. How could there not be something? And I just think the problem here, it's not going to be the same as with Purdue, but it's related is just price versus like my subjective probability for these teams that have these like kind of uh, hangups where it's like the coach and the history. And it's just like, it's tough. It's not that they can't win. It's just like, would you ever bet it with them being like the, you know, eight to one or nine to like, would you ever bet somebody at such a low price that you're just really unsure of? And, uh, and Houston's going to be a tougher call for me than Purdue. So I'll, when we do UConn, I'll kind of make this more apparent. Uh, there are very few teams right now that I would bet to win the national title period. Um, you at some point, at, depending on like the hour that you catch me, the answer is either one UConn and no one else, or it's like three or four. And I have to kind of really twist my brain into a pretzel to be like, well, I guess I could bet that team, or I guess I could bet that team. Houston, Purdue out, never. Uh, Houston, I can is kind of in that second group where it's like, yeah, it, it again. This is this is like Purdue. It all looks fine. It all looks on a sheet of paper. It looks great. It always looks great with Houston on a sheet of paper. And then my theory on Houston is. I think really, really, really good teams, like title winning team, not teams that make the final four or the championship game or whatever, the teams that win six, like those teams, they basically like, there are three ways you lose an NCAA tournament game for the most part. NCAA tournament's pretty straightforward. It's a three point variance competition. And like, there are three ways that you lose. The other team gets white hot. You go ice cold or both. Like that's how you lose tournament games. and. When you have the third one happen where they're crushing and you can't make anything, no one wins games like that. Nobody. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. Like, if the other team's shooting 50% and you're one for a billion, like, you, you usually just can't get out of a game like that. It's just the way it goes. That doesn't happen very often. And it doesn't happen to very good teams very often, but it does happen. And my concern with Houston is always... They also lose the first two games all the time. They lose games where like they're fine and the other team just shoots better or they're ice cold, but the other team's not that good. Like they they lose those games too. Like I just, it's just really tough. Like they're just not a good shooting team ever. And that's their big thing. So like that never comes through over 40 regular season games in your record or like your effort level where their effort level is always a hundred and everybody else's effort level might be a hundred or it might be less, but they're always a hundred. That's like the best, that's the best thing you can say about them. They try hard all the time, but like in the tournament, everybody does. And so like when you find a team like it and you, you're never really sure what game it's going to be. I would say it's very rare. Like, I wouldn't expect Houston to ever lose to a bad team. I would never expect that to happen. And if it did, I would mm -hmm. be absolutely astonished. But I do expect them to lose in the middle of the tournament every time. Because at some point, they're going to run into some team that does A, B, or C, and Houston's going to lose. And like, you to compare them to UConn or previous title winning teams like going back, 
those teams can have a team shoot well from three against them and they find a way to win anyway because they're so damn good at offense it doesn't matter and they create really good shots and they defend at a high level they do everything so they can absorb a really good three-point shooting game from a competitor or they can be ice cold and manufacture offense anyway both happen you probably just lose it just doesn't happen that often to a really good team but like houston can't even have the first two happen they don't shoot well enough. Like they just can't overcome it. It's like they're just they're handicapped in this way as a team, and it makes them really unappealing. It just it really does. So like, look statistically, people that follow my work, it's like, well, historically, how do they compare? Yeah, like if they won, it would make perfect historical sense. Uh, I may end up with some small position on them at some point. I'm definitely not ruling it out. Purdue, I am ruling out. Houston, I'm not ruling out. But like. Again, listen to that. And people and I people will say, this will be my last point. And PJ, I'm curious your thoughts on Houston too. People will be like, well, what do you mean? Like they made the final four. Like, you know, Matt Painter's never made a final four before. Like, you know, that's the whole thing with Rick Barnes. Been like, you know, I was like in diapers the last time they made the final four. Basically, it just it's you know, like, you know, what why do you dislike them so much? I would just remind people that the year that they made the final four, this is not revisionist history, this is just math. The year that they made the final four. They made the final four with a path of playing a 15 seed, a 10 seed, an 11 seed, and a 12 seed. Those are the four games that they won. And then they got trucked by Baylor because everybody's going to get trucked by Baylor because they were the best team in the country that year. But like, mm -hmm. what about those four wins makes you think that this team's going to win the Nash, not be good. They'll, they'll win games. They'll win two, three, four, whatever. Win six and win the title. What about that run would tell you that this is like a very likely thing to happen? It would actually tell me the opposite. They were probably very fortunate with the draw that they got when they did win four games. And the other years when they're really good, they didn't win four games and they got tripped up by somebody. And like, maybe that's really unfair, but like, you're trying to find the winner. I think it's okay to be unfair sometimes when you're looking at teams that are really good, but maybe not winners. Houston's really good. I'm not sure they're a winner. And to your point, too, that you were talking about earlier, where you say teams have to get better if they want to win the tournament. Like, I don't know if this year's Houston seems better than last year's, right? You know, like, you could make that argument with UConn. Yep. I guess you could maybe make this year's case with Houston, but, I mean, I think Sasser's better than, you know, LJ Cryer, even though LJ is a great player, obviously sheds back. They do have some returning players on that team. I thought that Houston team last year, though was really good. And then I look at their last two tournament exits to Miami last year, Villanova the year before. They struggle, like you said, in those kind of middle rounds. You know what they shot in that game? 16. You know what they shot from I three don't. in that game, by the way? I against think, Miami? I think I remember this. No, against uh, against Villanova in the game that you referenced. Oh, it was uh, I remember it was terrible. I think they shot one for 30 from three. I think that was actually what they shot. I think they shot one for 30. Whoops. That's another thing. Ken, that's another thing, too. Their offense is designed to a certain point of, like, the offensive glass, right? Like, Samson knows yeah. they're going to miss shots. So, like, that's that's what one they rely 20. on. I one for 20. One for 20. I got the one right. I, said, I gave did. too many misses. Yes. That's my fault. Yeah. One for I, 20. Who am I thinking they'd shoot 33s in a game? It's, like, impossible. But, yeah. But, I mean, that's what I'm saying, Ken. And, again, like, the teams that we have here in Locketology in this region, like, the teams that can score – like, th this would be terrible for them. The 8-9 game against Florida New Mexico. Oh, then you get Illinois, the number four seed. Oh, then you get Bama, the number three seed. And you get North Carolina, the two seed. Like, I, I mean, you're talking about some of the best offensive teams in the country. So, I agree. It wouldn't shock me if Houston won the national championship. I'm not going to bet them to do so because I just ha still have questions that – 
this year's team can win a shootout, and I don't think they'll be able to do that. So they're the one seed. Florida, New Mexico, the 8-9. Gators favored by a point. We have Clemson favored by 5.5 over Appalachian State. Just keep in mind, if Appalachian State is on the 12th seed in the tournament this year, they did beat Auburn in the non-conference. And oh, by the way, they're in the same league as James Madison, who kind of caught the college basketball world by storm in the Sun Belt. People thought they would be a surefire tournament team. App State has overtaken them, so they're a very good team. Then we have Illinois, the four seed, 10.5-point favorites over Yale. Ken, I know we both have thoughts on the Illini. I'll start by just saying that I really don't like the Big Ten in the tournament, like at all, <laughs> right. other than Michigan well, State. One of right? the worst. I think they've been the worst conference in the tournament the last five years or something like that, like versus Doesn't expectation. I think they've been yeah. brutal. Yeah, I totally agree. Doesn't shock me at all. I will say, though, I got a chance to watch Illinois in person against Maryland on Saturday. They really impressed me. We just had Isaac Trotter on. He was talking about them, how good they were offensively. What I love about Illinois, Ken, their four best players are all seniors. Terrence Shannon Jr., Marcus Domas, Coleman Hawkins, Quincy Gurrier. I love that. I also like the fact that in that game against the Terps, Maryland must have cut the game to like one possession eight or nine different times. Illinois never allowed them to take the lead, never allowed them to tie the game. They had an answer for it every time. We know the tournament is all about guard play. You're not going to find a better one-two punch in college basketball than Taron Shannon Jr. and Marcus Domas. Like, it's really good. Shannon averages 20 points a game. He's so good in transition. When he gets the ball on the fast break, he's either getting fouled or he's making the basket. One of two things is happening. And I think Domas is going to be the entire key. To me, he's one of the most underrated players in the sport. I think he is really good. And like all these teams, Ken, that go far, right? You need your superstar, and then you kind of need like your sidekick, right? Like, and obviously I'm not comparing like Terrence Shannon Jr. to Kemba Walker, but I'm going to say in the context of like Shannon's Kemba, he's the superstar, and then Domas can kind of be like the Jeremy Lamb, right? Like he's the guy hitting the big shots. At the end of the game against Maryland, like Domas was the guy who had the ball in his hands. He was the closer. And they make free throws. They can shoot the three well. Um, My one question with Illinois is that they at times can struggle to defend the paint. They don't really have like a true solid center that can just control the glass for them. Is kind of like a rim protector. And obviously Underwood in the tournament can scare you. And we mentioned a couple segments ago like that DeSumo and Coburn team that were really, really good. Lost to Loyola Chicago. I know that's going to scare a lot of people off. But I'm with – I just – this Illinois team with their with their veteran experience, how good their guard play is, the way that they can score, and if they get the right draw, and I think they would be like a good matchup for Houston, like the kind of team that could upset a kind of Houston. So obviously the draw will be key for Illinois. Yale would be a tough 4-13 matchup for them, but uh, that that would be a potential team that I watch. I, I do like Illinois this year. I uh, Yeah, I won't bury the lead. I agree with you. And uh, the way I would describe the Illini is uh, I don't think they're a winner and I don't really think they're ever a winner, but I think they're in the next tier of like, if you advance them to win the region, maybe make the final. That's kind of weird. It just depends on like who wins the other region, I guess. But like to win four games and be confident that this team could win four games, they would they would be on a short list for me of teams that I would be really interested in to accomplish that. And so that'll depend on where they get drawn in, how well do they play down the stretch, and what does their seed end up being? How does the market feel about them? Like if they get white hot, the cat's out of the bag, then you're probably not betting them to win the region anymore. If they stay like this, this four, five, 
won't be a top two or three pick in the region to win odds wise, then I, I think they're really, really interesting. And uh, on a sheet of paper, they look interesting. When you watch them, I think they're pretty interesting. Jake would you know watch them more than anybody. Like he would probably agree with that. I, the, the other thing I want to do real quick is it, I think there's there might be an idea of like, oh, well, like the, you know, you said the Big Ten, like they've been a disaster in the tournament. And so I think people might have a tendency to group teams like Purdue and Illinois together in terms of Mm -hmm. like failure in the tournament recently. I would be, uh, I would disagree with that really, really strongly. And I would just say like context and detail matters. So like Purdue loses a 16, like loses to Fairleigh Dickinson. They lose to North Texas. Like they lose, like it's just, they lose to St. Peter's in the second weekend of the tournament. Like I think we, and I'm, I'm saying these names like, like with like derogatory, like I don't, Arkansas, I just, just Little to Rock. emphasize like, yeah. like think about it. Like really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. forever ago, there was a double overtime game to Little Rock and Chris Beard. Like, it's just like, those are unconscionable losses. Okay. Illini, who have they lost to the last three years in the tournament? In an 8-9, they lose to Eric Musselman, who's like been one of the great tournament coaches of the last week. Back-to-back regional finals, wins a ton of tournament games. Like, yeah, like would have been great to win. That's not a bad loss. Like Arkansas went on to beat a one seed after that. Like that's pretty good. They lost to a crazy underseeded Houston. Like this is the start of the Houston run. Houston's a five or a four, and they played in the four-five second round game. Like, is that a bad loss? They lost to Loyola Chicago, who was like the eighth best team in the tournament. They were just an eight nine game. Like these are very explainable losses. These none of those are bad. None of those are like, oh my god, how did you lose? The Loyola one hurts because you're a one seed. You're a favorite in the game. A lot of people like Loyola in that game. Like you look at those three, and you look at Painter's stuff. I mean, it's a different sports almost. I mean, it's like not even close the difference in competition. So like, I'm way more willing to give the Illini a pass on those games than to get Purdue a pass or some of these other teams. Yeah, it's a really, really good point because I think a lot of people do kind of group the Big Ten teams together. But to your point, not all tournament losses are created equal. We'll go through the bottom half of the Moron Island region here (laughs) on You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM, PJ Glasser, Ken Barkley. PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos alongside Ken Barkley here on You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM. We're wrapping up our number two. We're with you until 7 o'clock eastern time we're also with you on stadiums you can go to watchstadium.com. check us out over there until six o'clock eastern time we're also on sirius channel 160 sirius xm 205 and still streaming on the betql network twitch.tv slash betql and youtube backslash odyssey sports as well you can listen to us for free over on the odyssey app Uh, That was the North Carolina Tar Heels Radio Network. They are the two seed in this region where Houston is the one, UNC, the two against Oakland. You have Oklahoma and Boise State in the 7-10 matchup. Alabama, the three seed against Vermont in the 14. Texas Tech, the six over Ole Miss and Utah in the play-in game, which could be really interesting. Obviously, Chris Beard now in Oxford, the coach for Ole Miss, and obviously used to be at Texas Tech. So that could be interesting. And then obviously the games we went through, Houston, the one seed, Florida, New Mexico, and the 8-9, Clemson over Appalachian State, 5-12, and then Illinois, who we were just discussing in the 4-13 game against Yale. So, Ken, we were talking, like, this region really – is interesting. There's so many good offenses. Houston obviously having the dominant defense. You got Illinois as the four seed. Florida and Mexico is the eight, nine. North Carolina, the two. Alabama, the three. I want to get your thoughts on UNC. 
you know, the metrics, obviously, they're one of those 2020 teams, according to Ken Palm, top 20 offense, top 20 defense. For me, they're the team that I go back and forth on the most. They have some really nice non-conference wins. They beat Tennessee in the non-conference. They obviously have the win over Duke a couple weeks ago. It just feels like they're kind of, they maybe hit their peak in like December, January, and now they're falling back down to earth a little bit. We obviously talk about coaches on this show and in the tournament that we can't trust. Hubert Davis is one of those that like, mm, do you really feel great about him? Uh, so what are your thoughts on this UNC team? Do you think you could see yourself maybe investing any money on them if they have the right draw? Yeah, so it's worth noting, uh, I like grew up a North Carolina basketball fan. My dad went there. I have family that goes there followed the team really closely and I've kind of like lost touch with the team. Like I don't follow them as closely the last few years, but I still you know have like a soft spot for them a little bit. Um, the Hubert Davis thing is really a funny topic because it's, I think, uh, you know, my first thoughts like, Oh, it's Hubert Davis. What do you think? I'd be like, can't trust him. I'd be like, okay, well, like he, they, he's been the coach for two seasons. This is third season. He's been the coach for two seasons. The first year he went to the championship game which is more than Matt Painter ever did, by the way, and more than Kelvin Sampson ever did, and more than you know the other the other coaches that we put in this same bucket. As I can't trust them in the tournament. Like he in his first year, he went to the title game, and then in the second year, they didn't make the tournament. <laughs> it's like it's like so like basically Hubert Davis at the end of his tenure, he could potentially exist on a scale of one of the great coaches of all time or a moron. And it could be any of them. And we have no idea which one it could be. Like, we're just, we're going to learn kind of what, what it's going to be. And so I can't be as dismissive of him as I can be of Painter or of honestly, like Shaka Smart kind of to a certain extent, or some of the other coach, Rick Barnes, some of the other coaches in the tournament. Cause like the dude did, like, it just, I mean, he did it. He won those games. Like, what am I going to say? He didn't win the games. Like, what, what am I going to say about it? So they are in this group of teams for me, that's really interesting. I'll tell you, like we haven't done UConn yet. And I, you know, you try to save some ammunition for that discussion. But I think if you're looking for teams where it's like, all right, maybe they're not a winner right now, but you know, it's only February 20th. Like this is the earliest I think we've ever done this segment. Uh, usually we do it like maybe first weekend in March for the first time. If you're looking for like a handful of teams where, all right, maybe it's not all there yet, but it's a small improvement that's required to look like a team that could win the entire tournament. I would have this team in that, in that bucket where it's like, maybe it's not perfect right now, but it can get there and they can be, there'll be a high seed, you know, there'll be a one or a two or a three, which obviously would, would matter in terms of path. Statistically, they do look a lot like a winner in some ways. Like they really, they don't have a lot of warts. They're, they're, they're kind of on the fringes in a, a couple ways. There are some things I would like to see them do better, um, but they're really not bad. And so like, it's uh, it'll be, they're a team where like, I would love for a team like them or Duke or Michigan state or some of these other teams to kind of put the foot on the gas a little bit in the last month so that I don't go into the tournament being like, who the hell is beating UConn? Like, how are they not winning? Cause if we get like, if the tournament started right now, this would be the lamest, dumbest, futures conversation ever because it's yukon and a bunch of nevers it's yukon and it's like well who else makes sense purdue and eh, houston and eh. like i'm never betting these teams like no way um you know like right now i would just never bet them to win the tournament at their price and i would just be like yeah yukon's just gonna win like that's what's gonna happen and there's there's still time there's a month for some interesting team to come along they don't have to play crazy better 
Like, we're not looking for Kentucky here, like team that comes out of nowhere and goes on a big run. But, like, North Carolina's been a top 15 team the whole year. They just have to be a little better, and I think I'd buy. I think I'd be in. And I don't I don't love Hubert Davis's. I think the guy made the title game. Like, what am I supposed to say? Like, he can't get there? Like, he literally did it. Had a lead at halftime over the team that won. So I just uh, – I think they are very interesting in that way. They are one of the very few teams to me where, like, the next month really does matter to me, where if they can just get the get the resume, get the get the profile a l- just a little better, uh, then I think I'm in. I'm with you. I'm with you. For me, kind of two of the big things I look for when – placing a bet on a team to win the national championship. I I do look at Ken Palm. I look at the 2020 team that's top 20 offense, top 20 defense. UNC fits that. They were certainly much better like a month ago. But also something that I don't think it's talked about too much until we get closer to the tournament, which is usually a really good kind of barometer for a national champion. 100% of the national champions since, I want to say, 2003, 2004, in the last 20 years, have been in the top 12 in the AP poll in week six of the college basketball season. So when we get to week six, usually we have a good idea. It's so rare. It speaks to something which I can talk about too, but go ahead. This is interesting. yeah. Yeah. So I just like some of the the teams on this list and some of the teams who are not the, on this do list. You have the AP I poll do. from week six. Can you read I it do. real quick? I don't I don't know what this is. Like I, I have no idea what you're gonna read. You could read like like Providence could be on this. Like I would have no idea. Like some random school, so, St. John's. Who who was the top so, twelve? So we have Arizona at one, Kansas yeah. at two, yeah. Purdue at three, Houston at four, Yukon at five, Baylor six, Marquette seven, Creighton eight. North Carolina 9, Gonzaga 10, Oklahoma 11, and then Tennessee at number 12. So again, 100% of the national champions in the last 20 years have been in the top 12 in the sixth week of the AP poll. UNC's right there at 9. Again, Alabama's not on that list. Auburn's not on that list. Iowa State's not on that list. Duke's not on that list. Michigan State, Illinois. Some of these teams that maybe people could think about. Sure. Um, but I always just I always find that really fascinating. So to see UNC obviously there, number nine, their you know profile, like you said, you like it to be a little bit better, but certainly they have the makeup of a team that could go far. They have one of the best guards in the country in RJ Davis, and then Armando Baycott is a center that's been in the league for a really long time. They did a good job in the portal too, kind of getting the mix of like shooters. From the outside and like mid-range scores, Cormac Ryan, Harrison Ingram. So that's why I go back and forth on UNC, Ken. It's like almost comparing the eye test and kind of like what I see out of them. And then just like the metrics and kind of that they fit the profile and kind of what you look for in a team that maybe could contend with UConn and could win the whole thing. I'm interested, though, you said that you kind of think that you have something that can speak to maybe why this is what it is, why we've seen the national champion every year for the last 20 years come out of the uh, top 12 in the AP poll in week six. Yeah, and uh, people who follow my work closely have already heard this before. I think this is really interesting. Uh, So week six, so correct me if I'm wrong, the the college basketball season usually starts like the second week in November, right? Mm -hmm. So, So six weeks would be like New Year's. That would Correct. be like six weeks from then. Yeah, or like right before okay, you get so, to conference play. Yeah. So that's my point. Is it's I, I think there's less it's less about that it's week six and it's more about it's the difference between non-conference play and conference play. So like that's mm. what week six signifies, right? It signifies like where we are at entering con- now. I know the Big Ten starts a little earlier now. They play some late December games. Not a perfect fit, 
that's like, you know, every, some conferences have already started by the time you get to week six, probably. But what this speaks to is like something that I found uh, to be incredibly helpful is that non-conference, this, this is, this was just made my brain explode the first time I kind of figured it out. Non-conference play predicts tournament success better than conference play does. And I'll say that again. The first six weeks of the season does a better job of telling you who's going to go deep in the NCAA tournament than the next two and a half months that you're about to watch. It just does. It just, that's the way, that's what it is. And I'm sorry to have to, if you're like, no, there's no way, like how you're playing going into the tournament should be like the most, that's just not what it is. Sorry. Like, you know, you know what made UConn great last year? They were four seed, by the way, in the NCAA tournament. You know what, you know what made UConn great last year? They covered every non-conference game they ever played. All of them. They never did yeah. cover. And they you're also right. covered every game in the NCAA tournament. They also won all of them, by the way. So like, yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> so, so to your point, like I have a, like I have a bunch of, st I think non-conference play is critical in mm -hmm. evaluating these teams. I think it's way more important aside from injuries than what's happening right now. I think it's way more important and that sounds stupid and nuts, but that's what it is. It just, that's what it is. And, uh, and I think your AP poll trend reflects that because of what weeks it's like, you know, well, why not week five or week seven? Well, because week six kind of signifies when we transition from playing one type of opponent to playing another type of opponent. And conference play is opponents that are very familiar with you and you play them a lot and you go to a lot of hostile environments that you're not going to go to in the NCAA tournament. There's a ton of things about conference play that are different and that are not representative of what you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. Non-conference play, there's a ton of stuff that's representative of what you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. You're going to be in Maui playing three games of like a, a gym with pineapples on the door. Like, it's just like, that's a lot. That's, that's like, yeah, we're going to go to some random gym. We got to figure it out. We're gonna play all the time. Like I just, the type of opponent that you see, especially at a high level tournament. So I totally agree. Uh, Carolina was not the best team in non-conference, but they were good enough. Um, yeah, I think they're they're interesting for that reason. So are a lot of the other teams on that list. Yeah, Carolina, they beat Tennessee in the non-conference. They also beat Oklahoma. They lost to Kentucky by four and UConn by 11 as well. Gonna take a little bit of a break from college hoops. Noops is gonna join us next to talk about the NBA Hour 3 You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM on the other side. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM <laughs> on the BetQL Network. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus 